Our text is Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Brother Dave, why don't you work on a solo for tonight with all the other music is scheduled, but add that, and I'll get you the words for it, right Christmas, and you sing it, okay? You've got the voice. You've got it, okay? All right. Not white Christmas. I said right Christmas. We're politically correct today. All right. Um, Shelton Smith, many of you know him. He sends me, uh, every, every Christmas, he sends me a tin of, of cashew nuts. And I mean, those things are great. And usually I get about half of them. And then when the kids come over to open them up for Christmas presents, they're gone. Well, I got them early enough that I finished off the whole can. <laughs> but, you know, I got to thinking about it later. I said, uh, so often there are people give mother or wife or something like that at Christmas a box of chocolates, and they'll say, sweets for the sweet. Nuts for the... I just got his message. I'm a little slow, but I just got his message, okay? All right, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now shall we pray, Father, as we look into this message, this is your word, and I just want to ask you right now to forgive me because I know that as we see the descriptions as they're laid out here of the Son of God, that my abilities will fall short of giving the praise that's due and to the honor of his name. And yet, Lord, there's something that we can glean from it, and I pray that you would just, by thy very Holy Ghost, beyond what I'm able to say, take those things home to the heart. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. This verse sticks out as, to me as, as two sticks of dynamite. We, we see the first where he says, unto us a child is born. Not like that, unto us. Unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. And as we look at that, we're seeing both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. We will see three things, or I want to point out three things in the division of this one verse here, as it applies to all men. Now, keep it in mind that this was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And yet, everything it says of him has proven true over and over and over again. And don't miss also that it's given unto us. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons of men may become the sons of God. And oh, what a special blessing that is. I believe that Romans 10.10 states it best, where he says, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, unfortunately, this particular verse, even among good, solid, fundamental Bible people, uh, at times is taken a little bit off course, off the context. <clears throat> and what they teach is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that uh, 
it gives a sentimental sound and takes away from, I think, the true meaning of the words that are here and it robs it of the high spiritual sound that it is. And you'll see that as we progress. But I want you to see here in verse 6, it's divided in three parts. First of all, the first stick of dynamite, as far as I'm concerned, is for unto us a child is born. That's speaking of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Adam was formed of the dust of the ground. And then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Eve was formed from a bone from Adam's side, from his rib. And uh, there have been things said about that. But I think Matthew Henry said it the best in his commentary when he was describing that. He says, Eve was not made from a bone as his foot to be trampled upon. Neither was she made from a bone in his head in order to be ruled o- rule over him, but rather from a bone in his side to be protected under his arm and then to be close to his heart to be loved. And you know, I, thought, I think that he got it exactly. And when I see my Savior on the cross with those arms stretched out, saying, come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And as I see him on that cross, and, and, and his side is pierced, and he takes us in, cleansing us in that precious blood and the water of life. And so what a picture that is for us in the scriptures. And so the Holy Ghost, when it was Jesus' time, came upon Mary. And as he comes upon Mary, we find out that that a seed is placed in Mary by the Holy Ghost. That's not a sexual thing, by the way. That is a spiritual thing. And they began to form the seed inside of Mary. As a matter of fact, I believe that God the Father, after the Holy Ghost comes upon her to prepare her, is actually the one that prepares the body for for that entire nine-month period. Adam and Eve have a sin nature. Therefore, all their progeny, everybody that's born after that, has a sin nature. You see, the three I mentioned were created. You and I are procreated. But in Adam and Eve, because of their sin, we inherit that sin nature. But now there's a good side to that. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so when we are under the blood because the life is in the blood and when we come under the blood of Jesus Christ, that life-giving blood, that sin-cleansing blood, all of a sudden we have a new nature and we're a new man. Behold, All things are made new. Old things are passed away because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great promise that is for us today. God, in all his wisdom, designed that the firstborn would have only the blood of the father. Now, second, third born uh, can have blood of the mother, but uh, the dominant is still going to be the father. 
But the firstborn is the blood of the Father. But God the Father formed this inside of Mary, and so that blood was pure blood. Pure blood from God, as it was pure when he first created Adam before Adam's sin. Jesus in his humanity is the created seed of the Father. And by the way, when he comes upon Mary, the Bible tells us, and I shared this in our Sunday school class, the Bible tells us that immediately she goes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the, in the sixth month of pregnancy with John the Baptist. And so here is Mary. At the most, she's two weeks with this child, probably less. But at the most, two weeks. And when she enters the presence of of Elizabeth, the babe leaps in her womb. And, of course, he's called the Son of God, and, and Mary calls him her Savior. But even at the most two weeks old as a baby inside her, just the first two, within the first two weeks of formation. The babe inside Elizabeth realizes that it's a human life and that is the Son of God. And people think it's all right to kill babies today inside a mother. They would have killed Jesus Christ because that was a poor parent. Didn't have much. I'm so thankful that the Lord left us an example to show us that life begins at conception. And that is one reason we call him Emmanuel, God with us. For that day that he was conceived was the day our hope began and was assured for our eternal life. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, it says, The Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not just to save them, but to seek them, to bring them in. We find out in Luke 9, 56, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So, unto us. Isn't that great? Unto us is what this is all about. Unto us. And we can say hallelujah because without that we have no hope. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's why we have hope today. And the Bible says it's a sure hope. It will happen. You just must receive it to come under the umbrella of that hope. The next part of the verse says, unto us, a son is given. So we have a child is born, and now a son is given. And I think that's the second uh, stick of dynamite. Because to give something, it has to already be existing. See, God is a spirit. The Bible tells us. And Jesus existed throughout all eternity past, but he existed as a spirit. 
He did not become the physical human son of God until he came to Bethlehem, or should I say, until he was formed inside of Mary. But he was always the son of God in eternity past in spirit. The human son started 2,000 years ago. But let's look at him in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and we see Jesus existing, and this is 600 years before, at least five to 600 years before the birth of Christ. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above. Now, it's as the likeness of a man. The, the appearance seems to be in the form of a man. But when you see the word likeness, it's a symbolic word. So it's as there is a real man that they're looking at. And by the way, they are, but they're seeing him in spirit only. And he goes on to say, And I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it. From the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And it had brightness round about. The appearance of fire, Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. Think of that. And so what are we seeing here? The virgin son, the son of God. Jesus Christ, this is him before the Holy Ghost came upon Mary. This is him five or six hundred years in spirit sitting up there on the throne where there are seraphims and teraphims. They're crying up unto him saying, holy, holy, holy. And, and, and they move about at his command. They move when he goes this way, you go that way, you go the same way that he leads. That's their desire, that's their heart. And that's the Jesus who left all of that to come to save wicked sinners like me. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. The virgin son was truly man, although he did not inherit any of the sin nature that you and I have inherited. And since life is in the blood... The blood was of the Father, making that the only blood that could ever be available to be the redemption price for our sin. What a great blessing that is. But he's also the Son of God from eternity past, and he is given unto us. We're not entitled, but he gave it anyway, because God so loved the world. But he already existed. This is now Jesus. And he comes and he obtains eternal redemption for you and me. Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 says it this way. He has the keys of hell and of death. That's why Jesus is the only way to salvation and eternal life. In his humanity... He gained that. Now, he, it was already his in his deity that he might judge 
But in his humanity, he obtains this and will then judge us as that judgment was committed unto him according to John chapter 5 and verse 22 that all the judgment was committed unto him. In Matthew chapter 25, he comes back and he judges the nations. I think of Jude verses 14 and 15. He says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken. Just understand, ungodly means without God. But he's taking judgment out on these people. You know, I, we need to pray for our educators and our politicians in the public sector here. Because they're saying things about Jesus and they don't want Jesus' name used at all unless it has a cuss word. Taking his name in vain. They're doing their best to prevent his name from being mentioned in a good way in the public forum. But one day, according to Jude, they're going to stand before God for all this ungodly things they've done and give an account. Oh, we need to pray for their salvation. Finally, in our first point here, his humanity... also has the government placed upon his shoulder. When he comes back, he'll rule and reign in the millennial reign of Christ for that thousand years, and he'll rule with a rod of iron. But don't miss what he did in his humanity. Uh, you're given gifts this Christmas, receiving gifts this Christmas. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, you can't get... You will not give anyone a greater gift than that. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the wages of sin. Was to go to hell. To spend eternity in a lake of fire. Tormented day and night forever and ever. Never been able to cease to exist. They're not able to escape. No hope. That's what our sin has earned. People say, well, I don't think I'm that bad a sinner. You don't understand a holy God. An all-holy God condemned man to death when they just took a piece of fruit off of a tree. Just because your opinion is different from God doesn't make your opinion right. When God says something, it's a truth and it's always right. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so the governance of God, of his universe, who used Jesus Christ to create this universe, by the governance of God, he will not in any way compromise his will of judgment. So what must he do if he will not compromise his wrath being poured out upon all sin? God becomes a man. And his only begotten son at that. 
And he who knew no sin was made sin for us. He didn't become a sinner. He was made sin for us. All of our sin he bore in his own body on the tree. All of our sin is upon him. And so we find that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you want to see God's attitude about sin, Isaiah 53 about the cross 700 years before, it says the Lord, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Even when it was his only begotten son on the cross, when he saw our sin, he poured out his wrath on our sin, not just on his human body, on his human spirit. You think the suffering of his body was bad. Yes, it was. But the wrath of God on his human spirit is much, much worse. And when he said it is finished, the debt was paid in full. That's what Christmas is all about. In Isaiah 53, 1, he says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We look at a, sin, at, at, at a passage like that and you say, What in the world is he talking about? Well, that's the cross chapter. That's the cross chapter where Christ dies for us. And it must be believed that he died for your sins. Believed in such a way that you're willing to stake your eternal life on it. I mean, some people have a fear of getting on an airplane. Okay? Now, if you get on it and you have a fear, but you get on it and you fly to wherever it's to go, then you have conquered a fear, even though you feared it. You've got to place your, the trust of your very life in that pilot's hands. When you come to Christ, you're trusting the eternity of your soul in his hands. He becomes head. He now is the Lord of your life. He directs you. You follow him. It must be believed. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says this, For by grace are you saved. You don't earn it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not anything of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The Apostle Paul, under the direction of the Holy Ghost, gave this personal testimony of himself. The Lord... That is, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1.15 But what does that idea, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, what does that mean? Well, think about this. When God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says in Psalm 33, He spoke the worlds into the existence. In in in. Psalms 19, it says that the heavens are his handiwork. That means the idea of his finger work. The bearing of the arm has the idea of rolling up the sleeves and getting ready to do hard, heavy labor. In other words, it was easier to create the heavens and the earth than for his son to die on the cross for our sins, to take our sin upon him. That was the hardest labor he ever would do, but he did that because God so loved the world.
that he gave his only begotten son. And his only begotten son came willingly. Now we see his name. And his name speaks of his very person. He is both deity and humanity. And so our text says that, and his name shall be called. And that's what we're going to look at for the rest of this message, what his name is called. His name shall be called Wonderful. The idea of the word wonderful is full of wonder. It's unlimited. Many say that it means wonderful counselor, and that's what I was talking about at the beginning of this message. They say wonderful counselor, making it one term and not separate as mighty God is separate from that. But I have a problem with that. It sounds good. And by the way, he is a wonderful counselor. He really is. But that takes away from what this means in its fullness. Now, people just say wonderful counselor. I don't think they're being sinister about it. I just believe that uh, they understand wrongly. Okay? But nonetheless, we need to get it right. There is a comma after each word as you see it there. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, uh, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. You see, you see those, those commas there. Now, from what I understand, and I'm not a, I've never had Hebrew, We've got a man in the auditorium that has Brother Dan Olashay. I actually emailed him to find out if this was true, and he gave me some good ideas with that, and I appreciate that. If he wasn't here, I wouldn't have given him that, that kind of thing, so you'd think I was smart. But, uh, but uh, you don't really have the comma punctuation in Hebrew. So why would the translators put it in there? Well, because wonderful is a noun. So are the other words. Wonderful is a noun, not an adjective. So it is not describing a counselor. Now, he is wonderful. Actually, the word would be wonder in the Hebrew. But it was made wonderful because the way the word is laid out, it is the idea that he's full of wonder. He's unlimited. And so that would actually show that Jesus is full of wonders, to say wonderful. And he came to perform those wonders for us. And it was not limited to just counseling. So much more that he does for us. In Hebrew... The adjectives follow the noun. So if this was written that way, then actually the counselor should be an adjective. But then that doesn't make sense for wonderful counselor, the counselor to be an adjective describing wonderful as an adjective. That just wouldn't work. Doesn't make sense. Either way, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't function. He is a wonderful counselor, yes, but that's because he's full of wonder. But the counselor and wonder are nouns. Now, Brother Dan pointed this out, and that's what I wanted to say. 
We can say God's Son is a wonder beyond human comprehension. And that's true. So that takes us to the word counselor. You say, if that's different, then, then why did God put that in there like that? Well, here's what I believe. <clears throat> Psalms chapter 138, verse 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word even above thy name. Now, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And yet, with that happening, he says he's exalted his word even above that great name. Now, why would he say that? Well, Psalms 119, verse 24. Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Every Every counsel in God's word is a counselor for you and me. We don't have to go to the world. Let the world go its own way. Let's get our counsel from God's word. He's the great counselor. He's the great counselor. We read in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30, he says, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Somebody has counsel that's different from the Lord's, theirs is wrong. Always, 100% of the time. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 20, Have not I written unto thee in excellent things, in counsels and knowledge? All these things stand, all these counsels written in his word stand as counselors for us. You see, these are counselors written in his word, these counsels are giving us God's mind on all things that pertain to life and eternity. That's why you try to get to know his word, read his word, meditate on his word. As you get to know his word, you get to know his person. Then you can grow in the great grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is a counselor. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes to this earth in John chapter 12, he said, it's not my words, it's his words that I'm speaking. And again, that's why you read the Bible daily. Because that's going to make known to you the mind of God through Jesus Christ and his word. In Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a, fire, in a furnace of fire of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, from this generation forever. You see, that calls for our sanctification, but he has preserved his word from this generation. This generation is not speaking of heaven. There's not generations in heaven. Generations are on earth. The word of God is preserved even here on earth. I know men have a hard time with that, but believe God. Just believe God. In Psalms 119, verse 89, we read that forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. He's the counselor. He is the word. And by the way, doesn't the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You see, Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. And there is no contradiction between the two. Next we see he is the mighty God, 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given to us an understanding 
that we might know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Remember Jesus' words in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 17? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And yet we read in John 1, 1, he is also the truth. On earth, Jesus Christ was truly God and he was truly man. 100% God, 100% man. And he could not have made the atonement for our sin otherwise. I'm thankful he was 100% God and 100% man. Next, he's called the everlasting father. Well, let's think again about something I've already said. Life is in the what? The blood. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. And that is why Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 8 says this, When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. That just simply means you're going to lose your reward. That person's blood... Is on your hand because God wanted you to be the witness. You didn't. They die without Christ. You didn't witness to them. The reward that God had laid up for you to witness to that man is suddenly taken away. You're saved so as by fire, as the Bible says. That's why we read in verse 11, that same chapter of Ezekiel 33, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why will ye die? God so loved us, he come to die for us, and yet men will not repent and call upon him for salvation. We are redeemed by that blood. In Revelation chapter 1, 5, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, don't confuse Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father, with the Father in heaven. This is rather speaking of eternal life. Remember? Life is in the blood. The blood is passed on to the child. In the physical realm, that condemned us forever unless we have a Savior. Jesus Christ, the Savior, came, shed his precious blood, his untainted blood that was never tainted by sin. Although he was tempted in all points like as we are. Therefore, through the old Adam, there's a natural birth. But through the new Adam, the first, the, the second Adam, the, the Jesus Christ, there is a blood flow that gives us a new nature. And that new nature, yeah, we still have that old nature inside. When we receive Jesus Christ, the old nature doesn't leave. That, that old nature is still there, but we have a new nature. And he can become our Savior as you call upon him to save your soul. 
believing that he died for your sins and was buried and rose from the dead. Yes, he's the father of our salvation through our new birth in him. That's why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and verse 25 says this, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. See, that's why the word is preserved and incorruptible, because your salvation depends upon it. But the word of the Lord which endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Yes, the word of God is used to bring us to Christ. Jesus, the everlasting Father, by his blood brings us into eternal life when we receive him. But then he's also the final thing there, the Prince of Peace. Romans chapter one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A saved man was witnessing to Willie Mays, the baseball player. Finally, Willie just looked at him. Willie had riches. He had fame. He had so much. And he looked at the man and he says, what do you have that I don't have? And he looked at him and he said, peace. He said, Willie Mays almost fell. Just, just knees started to buckle. And he said, you're right. I don't have peace. You see, he couldn't buy that with his fame and fortune. He needed a savior he is the prince of peace in Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 we read this in whom we have redemption we're bought back from the devil we're bought back from the eternal hell and lake of fire in whom we have redemption through his blood in the for, even the forgiveness of sins verse 20 and having made peace <laughs> we got peace with God how through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say. Whether they be things on earth or in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated. And enemies in your mind. By wicked works. Hath he now reconciled. Enemies of God. And yet he still paid our price. That's love. That's the love of God. So I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Says it so well. But thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It's wonderful. And his word gives us the counsel of the way to heaven. You must admit you're a sinner that does not deserve to go to heaven, that hell is your destiny. You must admit that you can do nothing to save yourself. And then you must see that Jesus actually died for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. And that he was buried and he bodily rose from the dead. He was God come in the flesh who also became a man that he might save your soul. And believing that he did that for you, you call upon him to save your soul. And if you do that, he will save you. He will come to you. Okay, now don't let the devil redirect your attention. Get your mind on the word because he will save your soul and give you eternal life in heaven if you come to him. Oh, won't you come? Let's bow our heads, please.